Hi, I'm Ben Field and welcome to another episode of the Hillsong Film and TV Podcast. In today's episode, I'm talking with Hollywood producer and friend Matt Weaver, whose career has seen him involved in films and TV series such as Where the Millers, Rock of Ages, Chef's Table, just to name a few. I've never gotten anything made that I didn't believe in or wasn't passionate about. I know that seems like a bad Hallmark card. It's really true. Like, I am not rich enough or good-looking enough just to throw things against the wall and get them made. So the only things that I've gotten made are things that I work on every single day. I was making two movies at one time. I was making the $75 million movie starring Tom Cruise, Rock of Ages, and I was making the $400,000 documentary from a first-time director about an 85-year-old sushi chef in Japan. Well, guess which one's more profitable? That interview in just a few moments. Firstly, I just want to say a quick thank you for taking the time to tune in. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and our YouTube channel to make sure you get the latest releases as soon as they come out. Plus, you can stay up to date with what the Hillsong Film and TV team are up to via our website, hillsong.com forward slash film TV, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hillsong Film TV. All right, now that's out of the way, let's jump straight in. Matt Weaver, good to have you here. Great to be here. Good to see you again. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, I'm interested, how would you describe your relationship with Hollywood? No one's ever asked me that question. Um, I I feel like I need to come up with a funny one-liner. The (laughs) truth of the matter is I've been in the business a long time. I got started really early. I started when I, well, I grew up in the business with my dad because he was, head of marketing at Paramount Pictures in the 70s. And then I started working for Jeffrey Katzenberg at 17. So I've been in it a long time. Right. But I think one of my answers is that I uh, I still really love it. Um, you know, I don't think it's good. Nobody loves it more than me. I love all aspects of it. But I've also realized it doesn't need to be your lifestyle. It could be your living. And not there's anything wrong with the Hollywood lifestyle. There's a lot of amazing people out there. But I've, I think I've managed to really make it a, a living and it's not something that... Uh, you know, that I'm not 24 seven about it. Um, And I'm just still, I'm lucky that I'm still really curious, but I always think it's because I'm not rich enough, but I still love the business and I'm curious and I'm excited and I'm passionate. And so I think my relationship is good. I'd say we're dating, but seeing other people. Okay, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. Um, Have you always been a producer? I mean, how did you start in the industry? Yeah, so sadly, I've always been a producer. <laughs> uh, so I grew up in the 70s and 80s going to Paramount Pictures every day after school because my dad was head of marketing there, and he just happened to be at like a legendary studio during the legendary time. So they were making Grease and Footloose and Flashdance and Raiders Lost Ark and Star Trek, and so I was the pain-in-the-ass kid going to the offices every day terrorizing everybody. But I sort of I got my start then. Then we moved to California in the mid-80s. My dad got a job at Disney, and I got a job as a gopher for Jeffrey Katzenberg. And, uh, and I did that while I was in high school. Every day after school, I'd go to Disney and you know get bagels for people. And uh, I tried college for about a year and a half uh, while I was still working at Disney, doing both. And college just wasn't for me. So uh, I dropped out of college and just kept working at Disney full time. And I stayed there for seven years until I was about 25. I still feel young, um, but I've been in the business a really long time. But again, I, I was exposed to two sort of legendary regimes at studios. So Paramount Pictures in the 70s and 80s through my dad and then Disney 
you know, with Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg when they took the studio over because it was a ghost town. And so, again, I was a kid at one place and I was a gopher at another place, but I saw everything. So in those early days when you had like that exposure to the environment and production and what was happening, um, was there a role that you kind of saw walk past and think, that's what I want to do one day? Or how did you get to doing what you do today in terms of well, I think I just always, I don't remember the light bulb moment, but I just think it was always obvious that I was a producer because I loved ideas and I loved development. I like to work on a lot of things at once. So the idea that I'd be a writer or director and able to actually focus was out, was not an <laughs> option. Um, and I actually, when I was at Disney and I was in my early 20s, that's when I started on my lunch hour, you know, optioning things and pitching and falling on my face and not knowing, but doing all the things you have to do, like just following things that you're passionate about. So I had a VW bug and I had one suit and, you know, I was, you know, I actually remember while I was an assistant at Disney, I had one line that was for Weaver Communications. I was operating my own production company while (laughs) I was like an assistant. Uh, But that's at Disney. I actually optioned my very first story, uh, which was the story about the Pasquitz family that I read in Life magazine when I was 21. And, uh, you know, it just goes to show you, I don't know what the lesson is, but I failed for 10 years trying to get that going as a TV series, uh, eventually made it as a documentary in 2008. So, you know, 18 years after I met the family and I'm now developing a scripted series about it. So it was at Disney that I actually started developing an option and optioning material um, and still working on projects that I have from back then. It's it's crazy the life these things have. They, yeah. they go on and on. So the life of an independent producer, what does it look like? Paint me a picture of what a day-to-day... I wake up and I start crying <laughs> and, and telling myself I've never accomplished anything and I'm never going to make it. And by 10 o'clock, after a cup of coffee, you're raring to go. <laughs> and by 1 o'clock, you've heard a new idea and you're excited again. And uh, it, it, it's not for the faint of heart. Um, but again, it's just it's how we're all wired, right? We're all wired for certain things. I am not wired to work at a place, although I like going to an office yeah. and I like people and collaboration. Um, I'm not wired to be an employee. I just I, I'd be terrible. Um, so I'm wired to be an entrepreneur. And um, you know what I always say is what people always told me, which is like once you get your first thing made. It's just a combination of a lot of things, but most importantly, confidence and the other ones just start happening. So right. I remember it was always like, I gotta get my first movie made. I gotta, get, and I got my first movie made in I think 2000. Although I had sold a lot of stuff before then and been in the paper and developed stuff, but hadn't made anything. And then, you know, you just go, go, go. Cause in my younger years as a producer, I've said this recently to someone. I had a couple of successful production companies. I had great partners and we could sell like the best of them. And I was in the mid to, mid to late nineties, I was selling ideas to studios all the time. And granted that was a different time then, um, you know, where you could sell pitches, you could right. sell one liners. We didn't know how to get movies made then. So that was a big change for me where you actually know, you know, coming up with an idea and selling it. I mean, there's a skill set there and we were really good at it, but early on we didn't know how to get a movie made. We would sell it, we'd be in the paper, we'd go celebrate, and then, you know, we never knew how to hunker down and really do all the the, the, the day-to-day grind of getting yeah. a project made. And so that was a big change for me when I learned how to actually get things made or had the confidence. I don't know yeah. if it's something you learn, but. What's the danger of having just the one idea? Because I know from your lifestyle, you're juggling like how many projects at the moment? 
Yeah, well, I have the other danger, right? I have the other danger of being an inch deep and a mile wide, and that, that's also a danger. Um, again, it's how I'm wired. I like to do a lot of different yeah. things, so I like going from Broadway to documentaries to movies to DV, to TV. I, I don't know if there is a danger in doing. I mean, I guess the danger is that when it falls apart, you have nothing else. So I don't think I'd ever recommend having one. Uh, I don't know if you need to have seventy-five like me. <laughs> uh, is that what you currently have right now, seventy-five? Yeah, I have a lot, but they're like kids. You know what I mean? And you love them all, but some are well-behaved, some aren't. Some are excelling, some aren't. And yeah, I mean, I don't have 75, but I probably have 30 to 40 things that I'm working on right now. And so is it a timing thing? How do those 30 become the one that this year we're going to do something about it? How do you explain that process of getting it from that idea to, you know what, this is something we can actually put legs on and start moving it forward? Another great question. Uh, I, I don't know. A lot of it, it's timing. A lot of it is luck. Um, I think most importantly, though, like I've never gotten anything made that I didn't believe in or wasn't passionate about. I know that seems like a bad Hallmark card, but it's really true. Like I am not rich enough or good looking enough just to throw things against the wall and get them made. So the only things that I've gotten made are things that I work on every single day. And the ones that you sort of check in on every now and then, I mean, those usually are the ones that never get made. But like Rock of Ages is something that I'm affiliated with a lot, um, a Broadway show and also a bad movie that I made. Um, and, you know, that's been a major project for me. And I made a million mistakes on that. I, I fixed most of them, but I worked on it every single right. day. You know, I'm currently working on Soul Train for Broadway. I wake up every single day. So I don't think that's like a brilliant uh, piece of advice there. But like it's just, you know, to, to, to do things every two or three weeks or we'll do a call next month. I'll check. I, I can't get things made like that. Yeah. So uh, I, I got to work on it. And then you got to love them, you know. Yeah. I mean, I have projects I've been working on for 20 years. I still work on them. You yeah. know, again, going back to the, the kid analogy, they're kind of like they're your children. Yeah. So what would you say over your career has been the most rewarding project you've ever worked on? Um, I, I've had a couple. Probably Rock of Ages is definitely it because it was it checked a lot of boxes, right? It was it came from scratch. It came from a group of us in L.A. that had sort of never done it before and it was against all odds and it was kind of like a Rocky Rudy type story. Yeah. Um, I was the lead producer on it, again, that... that I made a load of mistakes on it, but again, I, I fixed them. It was a financial success. It was a critical success. It was a franchise. It was all over the world. Right. It's something that we all want where you bring it up and people said, oh, I saw that because most of the stuff on my IMDb, no one's ever seen it. So right. it's always fun when you have something that people have actually seen. It's funny, I was making I was making two movies at one time. I was making the $75 million movie starring Tom Cruise, Rock of Ages, and I was making the $400,000 documentary from a first-time director about an 85-year-old sushi chef in Japan. <laughs> well, guess which one's more profitable, yeah. the, the sushi movie. Yeah. So you, you never know. But Jiro is super special to me, uh, Rock of Ages. And some of the stuff I'm working on right now, Soul Train I'm working on, which is like really, really exciting, important project. Yeah. It was a television show where the first time African-Americans were on TV getting to be loud and proud and mm. black and loud in themselves and not being portrayed as, you know, all the stereotypes. So yeah. I'm excited. There's a lot of pressure with Soul Train, but um, it's real exciting, too. Wait a minute. I made a movie about Hillsong. Oh, you did? Hillsong Let Her Rise. Yeah. Fantastic that film. That was pretty special. What's been the most challenging project you've ever worked on? Has it been a project where you've kind of like tackled and thought, I'm out of this business, this thing has killed me? There's nothing that could t 
take, listen, sometimes I think about getting out of the business, for, but it's for about 10 minutes, you know, I'm right. like, I'll be a bartender. I mean, the problem is I have no <laughs> other skills, so I have nothing to fall back on, like a degree. So right. I don't have other choices. It's, but again, I never, I never get down too much, but I've had some things. I mean, I have a movie that's been in development at one studio for 20 years about the Harlem Globetrotters. Awesome story about the origins of the Globetrotters in the 1940s, right. Jewish guy from Chicago had this idea to create the team and the NBA wouldn't let him in. And then they finally beat the NBA in a game. And first black player, one of the first black players in the NBA was a Globetrotter. Awesome, incredible, like as good as Rocky, yeah. as good as Rudy, as good as the natural. Hasn't been made. It's 20 years. In terms of that process, what are some of the disciplines you've learned over time that for you as a producer has been able to help you move forward in these projects? I, I don't know if these are things I've learned. Maybe some I've learned, maybe some I'm still learning. Um, I mean, again, you got to work on them every single day. Something I'm still trying to work on too is this is, you know, this is more about just how to do business and less about how to get something made, but actually to say no. That's a really hard thing to do. I have a hard time saying no. One, because I'm excited and I'm passionate. Um, but like as somebody who's also pitching, you know, you I love a quick no. You know what I mean? Like I'd everybody would love a yes, right. but sometimes a quick no is great. And I appreciate that because nobody likes to be strung out or jerked around. So I try to do that. I need, I need to work better on that. Do you see the landscape as just full of endless opportunities and potentials that you don't want to lose? Or do you keep a very specific vision to... These are the kind of films I want to make. These are the kind of projects I want to make. And you stay in your train and you head towards that. What does your day-to-day -day look like in terms of that? I do both. I mean, I stay in my lane. I mean, I do wake up every day and I just sort of, I have a hit list of the things that I need to move along. Um, but I also remain really open. Uh, I, I am still curious to a fault. I'm still passionate. You know, one of the things that I've always tried to do that has led me to a lot of opportunities, I think, is because I, I don't think everything is a straight line. You know what I mean? And some people way more successful than me are like, yes, no, in, out. I will go explore things. I will go. I mean, you know, Jiro is an example. You know, Jiro was a little $400,000 movie about a sushi chef that at that point nobody had heard about. Documentaries don't make money. Um, I was less interested in the guy. I was really passionate about this filmmaker, David Gell. So... I was like, I'm all in on that. And I helped him. I brought on people, this guy, Kevin Ubushino. We, we wound up getting the movie made, you know, and David was nice enough to give me a credit on Chef's Table, which is on the air right now. So right. I'm not really hands-on on Chef's Table, but like I wouldn't be an executive producer on that if I hadn't done things. So I, right. I try not to look at things in a straight line. And gotcha. there's a danger, right, of where all of a sudden you're a chicken without its head cut off and running around. But I, I guess it's not a discipline. It's just how I'm wired. I'm still really curious and I'm yeah. really passionate. You know, I look at how we met. We met yeah. because I wanted to do a Christian jukebox musical and I called our mutual friend John Bach yeah. and I said, I don't know this music. Can you teach me? He said, come to Hillsong. And I went to Hillsong, you know, terrified um, and, you know, wound up bawling with my hands in the air <laughs> and uh, the documentary was born that night, yeah. right? Yeah. And we're friends and I'm here doing yeah. this and that movie has now affected people and yeah. that happened because, you know what I mean? So that's a good example of yeah. how I try to do things. You just, you put yourself out there. Yeah. From the outside coming in as a newbie, um, it's easy to kind of look at Hollywood as this cutthroat. You're no newbie. You're in the Producers well, Guild no, now. No, you're, no. You know, you're... Thanks, Matt. All right, sorry. Um, <laughs> but you, you can easily come in with the perspective of it's cutthroat, people are burning bridges, you know, you've got to climb the ladder, step over people. But I actually, over the years, have found it's quite the opposite. It's probably one of the most positive 
places to be um, and it really thrives on relationships. How important is that to continue to build great relationships within the industry? To I get think in? relationships are everything. I, I think it's even more important than the content and the story because you could have great IP and great stories, but if you have bad relationships or you burn bridges or nobody wants to work with you, you know, that, that'll get you a little bit. You might have a little bit of a run, but I don't know a lot of people who have had long successful runs in this business without great relationships, without treating people well. So I'm with you, by the way. I mean, you hear all the cliches. You know, I've had my share of ups and downs in this yeah. business, but I hear other businesses are far worse. I actually yeah. find it a really creative, inspiring, awesome community of creative yeah. people. So uh, I don't, you know, I don't really buy the the, the cliches of yeah. being cutthroat. And I guess, I guess you get what you give, right? I guess yeah. if you give that off, you'll get that. What do you look for in a project? Like what drives your decisions when somebody comes and says, hey, I've got a picture, I've got an idea. As Matt Weaver, when you start layering out all the layers of the ideas, what, what are you looking for that makes you think, you know what, this could, this could actually have a shot? Well, great, you know, again, cliches, but great characters, drama. I love inspiring stories. I love rags to riches stories. Um, you know, I'm, I'm conscious of being commercial now, you know, in your 20s and 30s, I'll do anything, you know, and I, you know, I have two kids in private school now, so you know I, I need things to be just a little commercial. Um, but to that point, I want people to see things. You know what I mean? So uh, a lot of people saw Rock of Ages. A lot of people saw Jiro. You know what I mean? And so I want people to see my thing. So I do think about the commerciality of it. But if there's no characters there, if there's no stories there, um, I, I can't do it. So I don't. I lead with that first. Business is a close second, and the business model and the structure and how do we do it and the cost and making money. That's I. Uh, clear close, close yeah. second but character you know it's all about the character so you're saying it's it's about art first business second yeah business is a close second yeah. you know you know and listen i'm an independent producer so i have to raise money from people so you can only do that if you make people money so I'm, i am actually very conscious of that so i, I got to find that balance of doing things i really love about uh, that i really love that i really care that are artistic that are dramatic that have a soul to it but that can also make money well you've been around for uh so amount of years and you've seen the landscape change in regards to platforms. I mean, once in a day it was the big studios, mm -hmm. maybe a couple of little medium-sized studios that were doing things. And now you've got this generation of on-demand and you know Netflix and Hulu and Amazon. Um, has that changed the game in a positive sense for producers or in a negative sense? Well, for a content freak like me, it's amazing, yeah. right? So a guy who has ideas all the time and works across a lot of different mediums, right? So we're doing Broadway, documentaries, movies, television, digital consulting. So for me, it's personally exciting. I mean, just the fact that every time you're pitching now, you can add Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon to the list. I mean, they're like, they're game changers. Yeah. And of course, in addition to HBO and Showtime and all that stuff. So for me, it's really exciting. And I could get excited about doing a piece of content on a phone or a Broadway show or a Christian documentary. I mean, I just like content. So for me, personally, it's yeah. a, it's an ex really exciting time. I'm glad that I'm in this time while I'm still young enough to get stuff going. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm glad that this time isn't happening at the tail end of my career. I'm getting to use it and be a part of it. For so many people, they come into Hollywood and they've got their idea. How important is it to know who you are shopping around to? I mean, you're not going to pitch certain things to A&E no, versus it, online. I think, it, I think it's super important. I have a lot of people in my life with a lot of ideas and they're good people, but they don't necessarily know. And they're always like, well, let's go pitch this and let's go pitch. I mean, I like to win. 
and I yeah. like to sell and I'm a very sensitive soul, as you know. So not selling stuff really wrecks me because right. I get so emotional. I get so into it. I put so much time into it. So it's a great question. I think it's super, but you have to know who you're selling to. You have to know what they want and you have to know how to sell and not just package for package sake because it's got to be organic. But I think it's really critical. Like I do not like to bring something in that I don't think is right for them or that I can sell because it's just too much time and energy and emotion involved. It's an emotional creative process. So I personally think it's a good question and I think you really better know who you're pitching to yeah. because by the way, a couple of strikes, that that person's not returning your call anymore, yeah, right. right? So anyone could get into pitch anywhere once, maybe twice, but after that, you're, you're done and you wanna be a place where you call up and oh, Matt, you know, someone said Ben Fields on the phone. Yeah, we gotta hear something from Ben. So really important and don't throw stuff up against the wall because people aren't idiots out here and they can smell it from a mile away. Um, on, a, on a personal level, um, you have a family, young family. Mm-hmm. How do you find the balance in juggling such a high pace industry and being so driven? Obviously, you're a very driven person, and the balance of raising a family as well. Jack and Cokes. Jack and Cokes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how do I find the balance? I, I just, for me, it's not hard to do both because I love both. I mean, I love my family to death. So, uh, you know, we're a crazy, emotional, eccentric family, but we're like, you know, we're having dinner four or five nights a week. It's sort of back to like, I think you can love this business and live it and feel it and do it and reek of it, but also have a family life too. So yeah, the family is tough. I mean, I have a 13 year old daughter right now, so it's kind of like Friday the 13th in my house every day. I sleep, <laughs> I sleep with my eyes open. Uh, <laughs> Um, but by the way, I've got three or four things that I'm working on that are based on my family story. Right. So um, I love it. Do you do you have the opportunity to fully switch off ever, or is it everything all at the same time? It's hard for me to switch off. But again, like I love, I love it. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't. Lo- I, I probably should do it more, but it's it's very hard. Yeah. Um, but that's the other thing about producing, man. I mean, if you're really producing, you're kind of the, you know, you're certainly not the most important one because writers and directors, the real creative people. But you got to keep the trains running on time yeah. every day, and people are looking to you. And so, if you're really it's sort of like managing, you know, if yeah. you're going to be a manager, then they're going to call you twenty four seven. And if you want to be a producer and all that comes with that, then you have to like work on these things every yeah. day. So sometimes it is hard to just check out for a week. Yeah. But Final question. What would be a piece of advice you would give your younger self when you when you were younger and you had your eyes to the horizon thinking, wow, there's an there's an endless possibility out there. What would you give your advice to your younger self, knowing what you know now? Buy Facebook stock? Um, no. What would my advice be? I think I'm perfect, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a genius, dude. There's nothing I really would have done differently, you know? Um, I'm kind of offended by the question. But, I, I, you know, I, I don't really have any, I don't have any regrets. Um, you know, I, I still feel like I have a long way to, I feel like my best is yet to come. I've done some things I'm proud of. I had, I've had some hits, I've had some misses, but I'm actually really excited about the future. Like, I'm excited, so. Yeah. Thanks for joining me. Oh my God, this was great. Yeah. Thank you, sir. All right. All right, buddy. Well, I'm glad you tuned into today's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and our YouTube channel to make sure you get the latest episode as soon as it's released. And if you have time, we'd love to hear from you. Write to us in the review or comment section. I look forward to being with you again next time on the Hillsong Film and TV podcast. Until then, bye for now. Listener.